Hey, man. Hey, Jason. How are you? Good, man. Another amazing conversation today with you and uh, and a friend uh, who I've not ever really been able to have deep conversations with until today, John Blaze. John Blaze. First of all, great name. Uh, yeah. Second of all, man, great interview. This guy has like a tenderness about yeah. him. He talked about his father passing during the COVID era and just the difficulty and grief surrounding that. And we kind of dive into that a little bit and, yeah. uh, it didn't make the recording, but I asked him to tell a story about his dad and he, he kind of choked up and remembered his first memory of going to the hospital with his dad with a dangerous amount of poison ivy on his body. And as they were leaving the hospital, he said he remembered fainting and his dad catching him. Yeah. And uh, of course, man, that the analogy and the metaphor in that really is a part of this podcast. Uh, I think our audience is going to feel like they got caught by the father in this interview yeah. that we have with John. Yeah, that particular story didn't make it into the podcast. It was a conversation we had afterwards, but but he does share about the passing of his father in the last couple of years and and uh, how he's navigated grief and. And he speaks about it candidly. Uh, and we dive into the nature of our humanity and all of the emotions that we have to navigate and and um, and how we do that authentically. And at the end of the day, like you said, uh, into the arms of our father and discovering who he is. And Man, um, I'm so thankful for John. One of the things that maybe folks don't know, he's to me, he's one of the best writers on the planet. Uh, I endeavor to model my writing after him, and I, I hopefully made him blush a little on the front end by sharing that with him. But um, what folks may not know is, you know, John is John, and he he doesn't talk about it unless you try and pull it out of him. But he's been involved in a whole lot of how we think. Uh, he's been involved in helping people write, uh, whether it's uh, Eugene Peterson or or Brennan Manning, or uh, he's been connected to the to the to the movement of grace uh, in our culture and yeah and and this interview man uh man there's just moments that i was just so compelled in hearing him share his stories and talk about his life and his connection with some of these people uh um it's a good one it's a really good one i am so excited to have you here man this is the this is uh I, I we were saying before i hit record um I, we've been doing this podcast four years and i'm not kidding i had i had you on my on my list of who i would my dream list of who i could talk to you were right under bono like just one or two under bono <laughs> uh, as yeah. well as, uh you know you and bono and a few others um uh, we were reconnecting and letting derek know about our our uh, our history and we have a little bit you edited my first book for me and taught me what a writer is right in the first chapter. You took a story from the end of the chapter, put it at the front of the chapter, said, hey, you've got to start with this, and then help uh -huh. me put that whole book together, Surrendered and Untamed. And it was, it was a learning, it was a, it was a master class for me in, uh, in, in writing, which is something I've been passionate about. And, and so you've actually done two books. You did Surrendered and Untamed, and then again, when Prone to Love came out, I, had you, I, I, I brought you on for that as well. And, yeah, uh, yeah. and I'll, I'll just say this and then we'll get going. I've been nervous talking to you because like, 
uh, as a writer, um, you're the guy I go to when I want to remember what I'm doing and why I'm spending four hours at a Starbucks today trying to figure out how to put words on a page. I'm, I'm not kidding either. It's, um, you know, I'll, I'll listen to music to get me inspired. But when I want to remember the way you put words together, man, it just reminds me of the goodness of who God is. And, and the whole point of this whole thing is heart to heart connection. So wow. anyway, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop gushing, but I've yeah. been really excited about this. Told Derek about it. And, and uh, I want to give you a little bit of room to introduce yourself. I'm just excited to have you, man. This is, this is a big deal. Yeah, for John, me. thanks so much for, yeah. for coming on. I mean, number two from Bono. I'm, now I'm nervous. <laughs> uh yeah um i don't know if you can tell that i'm blushing or not but i think i am so uh but you know what i'm actually i i think there ought to be people who can still blush in our day and age Uh, that's kind of a, a lost virtue in my opinion but uh yeah i'm super thankful for the opportunity to visit with you all and um i remember those projects fondly jason um, you, you thought I was bringing some masterful thing, but man, I was, I was learning right alongside you. So, um, <laughs> we followed our noses and, uh, I think we, we've, we've got some good books though that, that came out of those experiences. So, um, yeah, that's, if you want to start tracing the goodness of God, that those are two points along the, the spectrum there. Yeah, sure yeah. Are. yeah. I love yeah. your email. Um, when we were going back and forth to have you come on, uh, uh the way you phrased it, because uh, that's what we do, right? On Rethinking God with tacos, we'll get there, is uh, the idea is, is that um, Derek and I love to to have a better thought about the nature of God than we had yesterday. I mean, that's yeah. the simple way of, and uh, and he's that good. And your response to me was, uh, you'll be ready to talk about the goodness of God and also the goodness of God. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I appreciate that, man. Share a little bit. Um, you were in Colorado, but you're not there anymore. If I recall. No, uh, we lived in Colorado almost 20 years. Yeah. Um, and in fact, that is Colorado was essentially our kids childhood from, you know, grade school of any, uh, of any sort up until they all graduated from high school there. So that was, uh, this golden time in our lives, man, when we lived along Colorado's front range. Um, but a couple years ago, 2021, my dad died. Yeah. And that was, we thought we would probably return at some point to Arkansas, all of our families here. Yeah. But that was the domino that, that made that decision uh, happen a little bit faster. So we have relocated to Hot Springs, Arkansas. I was telling Derek and, um, it's uh, Colorado is not Arkansas. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's different, man. So uh, and we're back really, really in the lap of family. You know, um, we were 20 hours away, which uh, had its negatives, but also had its positives. Sure. Um, you know, just due to distance, uh, you can't attend every birthday and you can't be. But now we're here and, you know, uh, those dynamics change. So we're. We're, we're learning slowly what that means to come home. Yeah. (laughs) We we have, we're surrounded by family. And so I I say, yeah, every weekend there's a birthday. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Which is a beautiful thing, but, but it's, uh, it can, 
there could 20, 30 of us. It depends on what's happening. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's good. And, um, my wife's sister and her family live in the town that we're in. We're about 90 minutes from my mom, which is, you know, I'm not in her lap, but I could be there quickly if I needed to. So, um, so yeah, we're, we're out here on the outskirts of this little tourist lake retirement village town. And, um, we're, we're figuring out what life is in our fifties and marriage is in our fifties and right. what parenting looks like in the second half of life. Yeah. Um, I wake up each, each day and say, uh, okay, let's, let's do this again. So, uh, yeah. We, uh, we just had our oldest just got married and last night I was at their house at nine thirty at night helping hang, um, shelves. And then my dad dropped by this morning and I was chuckling with him because this is a new way to connect. I, I, it's my first son-in-law, my first addition to the family. Yeah. So I was, I was reminiscing with him and like all the times he's come over and hung shelves for my sisters or my, for my sister or my brother and, uh, all the, all the family dynamics. Um, John, you've, you've, um, you've probably impacted, um, the way folks think, uh, about the nature of God uh, and, uh, our, our created value in ways that probably people don't know. You've, you've had your finger on a whole lot of books. You've been involved in a lot of books. You've worked with a lot of folks Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and maybe folks don't even know, but I, I would love for you to share a little bit about what you do. And, uh, I'm also curious as a writer, I know you've written with people, but I'm curious if you've written for people as well. Um, but share a little bit about, about what you do. Yeah. Um, after about, uh, I guess 15 years, almost that entire time that we were in Colorado, I was in what we would call formal publishing, um, as an acquisitions editor and, uh, and also as an editor. So, uh, prior to that was in pastoral work. Um, you know, yeah. Doing the thing, man, uh, preaching three, four times a week and visiting the sick and uh, blessing babies and speaking good words over the dead. Uh, I loved it. It was, it was beautiful. So, um, but after that uh, extended period of time in publishing uh, coincided a little bit with our return to Arkansas, I stepped away. And had a good friend, actually an old boss from my publishing days, who had begun a literary agency um, called the Bindery Agency in Colorado Springs. And he asked me if I would be interested in doing some agenting work, uh, representing authors, writers, speakers. And I had done almost everything an agent does up to that point, except formally pitching to publishers. Um, so I said, how about if we kind of do a, a trial basis here, about six months? And... Um, so I've stuck my toes slowly uh, into the agenting waters and um, have a handful of clients. I'm trying to really keep that part time, uh, but that's uh, that comprises a lot of my time this, these days. I also work part time at UPS. Uh, I'm an early morning loader. Uh, I'm making sure that you get your scented candles and your, uh, your you know your your felt chore coat on time. Um, and uh, awesome. I'm doing that primarily if uh, 
any of the self-employed folks who are listening, you know, health insurance is a huge deal, especially as you age and UPS has incredible benefits. So that's why I'm there to, um, to do that. Um, but then I'm also continuing to freelance, write, edit, consult, ghost write, um, in addition to some of my own writing. So, uh, I've got a lot of part-time aspects to my life. Uh, fingers crossed that they all add up to a full-time life. Um, but, uh, I just kind of move through different phases of those part-time aspects through each day. Um, but it's, it, it's good, you know, and it's, it's all by choice and, um, and, and I enjoy it. So, yeah. Hey, John, um, first of all, sorry about your father. Uh, how, how are you doing since that? Uh, since his passing. Uh, well, thank you, Derek. Um, Dad, uh, I refer to that time. He was a victim uh, casually of the COVID wars. Okay. Um, and uh, if you recall those scenes that we all saw on TV of, you know, people talking through windows or, uh, you know, placing hands up against hospital panes of glass, um, that was our experience. And, um, it was, man, it was hard. Um, yeah. he was shuttled away to an emergency room and we, we didn't see him for two weeks and then he got pneumonia and died. Mm. So, um, man, so sorry. So that was, that was tough. Yeah, that was really tough. Um, and if you're talking and, and as we mentioned earlier, talking about the, the goodness of God, I don't know if you noticed in the email that I, I sent back to you. That last phrase, I didn't repeat the goodness of God. I, I said the godness of God. Um, because even in my even in my mid-50s, Derek, I have a tendency to think about the goodness of God as things go on my way. <laughs> right. Uh, it, it, the winter script, you know. Uh, if, that, if that's unfolding, then, man, God is good, you know. Like, you know, all the time or whatever that crazy <laughs> phrase is, you know, um, uh, more accurately, uh, I have discovered and am growing into that discovery. Even uh, God is God all the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and the question is, do I have do I have the ability to be open and curious and humble to whatever happens in that even tragic things like the death of a beloved father that, you know, you didn't get to say goodbye to that kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, but that's still a part of the, the godness of God. So yeah. is that, I don't know how that rings with you guys, but that's, yeah, no, that's uh, good. That's, uh, and you know, one of the things we want to get into is how you have rethought God throughout your life. And maybe some of those God encounters or grace encounters where you began to understand and know more about a God that, truly does look like Jesus. Um, I did a series one time on the fruit of the spirit. I think I've done several, but you know, the, the, what we translate as goodness um, has a connotation in it, um, which is our North Carolina state motto. I love it. Esse quam videre. And it means to be and not to seem. 
And this is the exact yeah. translation of goodness. Goodness is good through and through. It's uh, it's the word tov in Hebrew, that God saw that it was very tov, yeah. very good. And so um, it's not putting up a front. It's actually, you are that way to the core. And Jason has a statement, that, a mantra that's really stuck with me. And I kind of remember it all along my life. I have since I've met him. But there's times in our lives where we're like, I don't know but I trust his goodness. I don't know, but I know he's good. And uh, for us, God and love are synonymous. And so, yeah, we begin to navigate those difficulties. My wife lost her dad uh, a year ago, thankfully not in the height of COVID. So we were able to be with him. Some of those stories like you're good. You walked through are just heartbreaking. Um, But uh, in those moments, how how have you rethought God? I mean, let's let's hear some of your stories about maybe the God you used to think about and the, maybe the way that you're thinking about him now. Yeah, I appreciate you asking. Um, and probably one uh, that comes to mind uh, in relation to that time after my dad's death, um, you've got all the, the the feelings and emotions of grief, all right? Um, which is this, this huge, big ball of wax. Uh, but then there was quite a bit, simply because of the way that that, that all went down, so to speak. Um, I was angry, just just enraged, um, yeah. because I, I really loved my father. You know, as I say, he was the most beautiful man I've ever known. Um, and we were um, uh, dangerously close <laughs> as uh, as father and son. But... Wow. Uh, so really had to deal with some some anger as to you know those those normal questions why and not just why but why that way right um, yeah my goodness uh, and uh, but it was uh, I guess maybe the year probably the year after he died uh, I was home alone my wife was on a work t- trip and I sat down to watch the film Calvary with Brendan Gleeson I don't know if you're familiar with that film or not yep. Um, uh, he's an Irish Irish priest. Um, Outstanding. Anyway, film. there's a character I, in. Let me just put yeah, a plug in it, real it, quick that our audience needs to, uh, after watching this podcast, listening to this podcast, immediately go and watch Calvary. <laughs> that, that would be my, my advice. Uh, yeah. Um, and I had heard, heard very good things about it, but had not, had never seen it. I think it maybe came out in 2014, but, um, I sat down and for some reason I found my way to that film and began to watch it. There's a character in the film, uh, a young lady married to a young man that early in their marriage and there's an accident. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Derek, I think this is right. There was an accident and she lost him. He died. Uh, and it was kind of one of those tragic things. And uh, a little bit later, she is sitting with uh, Gleason's character, the priest, and he says something along the lines, and I'm paraphrasing here about how unfair that was, uh, that, that she would lose the love of her life early on yeah. and not be able to grow old together and, and all those kinds of things. And she turns to him. Her name is Teresa in the film. And again, I'm paraphrasing, but says, um, no, it, it, it's not unfair. Um, he was loved by many, and he knew he was loved by many. The unfair thing would have been had he lived his life and not known that he was loved. Um, mm. And that was one of those 
that was one of those moments, guys, that, um, you know what, the veil, the veil splits a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. uh, And the light shines in and be it the goodness of God or the godness of God, you know, however we kind of want to say the same thing there, it shines in. And for me, that was, that was a moment of, and I use this word carefully, a moment of healing. Yep. Um, in which yeah. a, a little bit of that anger was taken away. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now I'm not, I'm not fully there. Okay. Give me the right day and the right mood and I can be raging, man. Sure. Sure. <laughs> uh, shaking my fist at the sky. But that was a day in which um, really a, I, I felt a gift from God by way of a film, you know, which happens a lot in my life. Yeah. yeah. Um, and said, no, the, the fair thing would have been, had your dad lived and never known that he was loved. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's not what happened. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that, that's a recent story, you know, um, hey. as opposed to some of our stories, you know, when I was seven, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I was just, just, uh, just last year. So I, I appreciate uh, the vulnerability in which you speak. And it's the way you write as well. I, um, and and we're i feel like i'm i said earlier when i want to remember why i write i i don't mean some sort of um utilitarian approach i, I want to know why i'm here <clears throat> i read i read what you write because it is there's such a value for connection and heart to heart uh connection with with our brothers and sisters and with our heavenly father um but such a vulnerable way that you do it you're you're able to navigate um, grief. I, I was reading this. I've spent a lot of hours on your page reading poetry because it, it really grabs me. But My Father Who Is in Heaven was a poem I, that you wrote. And it took me a half a second to realize you were right. You were actually speaking to your father um, yeah. and processing through it. And and the way that you wrote that, that poem uh, was it reminded me of a conversation that I'd be having with my heavenly father, just very conversational, very much meandering down these paths. You found yourself <clears throat> processing glory in a way that, uh, uh, that was brilliant. I'm going to read a little bit of it if that's okay. Uh, sure. as you're processing through this, um, this grief with this, that such prayer siphons off glory earmarked for God as if God is in a car and glory is God's gas as if God's low fuel might, uh, fuel light might come on and God might get nervous. I love that. <laughs> uh, I can see my, myself interacting with, with God this way. And then you would go on to say, maybe it's not, con- you're talking about to your father, you say, maybe it's not contaminated uh, like it is down here. Maybe grief where you are is pure and as such burns cleaner and brighter, more efficient. Maybe. I love you, dad. Talk to you soon. Amen. And I got emotional while I was reading through that because it was such a vulnerable expression of your relationship with with your dad. But also, I could feel you talking to Heavenly Father like he was a part of this conversation, yeah. and um, and and that you were you were inviting us into this. And get, this is where I'd love you to speak to it: inviting us into this grace, into this. Um, when I've when I've railed at the sky, when I've railed at God, we've got to, you know, I think if you've lived to be 50, I'm almost 50. There's, there's some things I can point to some dev- devastating moments in my life yeah. where I'll find myself just 
enraged and crying out. The way that you wrote this poem invited us into this infinite relationship where you're getting to speak to your father, where, where there's a, this measureless heart to heart connection. I, I think there's something profoundly safe in processing grief that way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, you know, our, our, um, Derek Jason knows this, that, but I, I grew up firstborn son of a Southern Baptist preacher. <laughs> uh, now I've got more vacation Bible school stars and, you know, you can shake a stick at uh, <laughs> all that kind of evangelical stuff, man. I've, you know, I've, I've been there and done that uh, 2.0, 3.0, 4.0. Um, <laughs> but a part of the, the language of growing up, and I look back on those years with a great fondness, uh, was becoming more and more Christ-like. Yeah. Now, I mean, that's that's how we talk about that, and that was, uh, in, in the best sense of the word, that was one of the goals that you had to become more and more Christ-like. And you think about, um, and I'm, I'm bumping into theology here, and I'm not a, theo- a theologian necessarily, but um, the incarnation was God experiencing the gamut of, of the human story um, from grief, betrayal, laughter, hope, um, uh, desire, sadness. I mean, I mean, all of it. So if, if you and I are in some way hoping to come, become more and more Christ-like, um, for me, and this is something that I'm still growing into and and rediscovering, all right, um, is that the the abundant life means experiencing to the full all of those things, right? Yeah. And and not trying to numb it or not trying to mute it. Wow. Um, and and if you're angry, man, get, go to go to ten. You know, don't stop at seven or whatever. If right. if you're grieving, uh, dive down to the very bottom of that. If you're joyful, oh man, you know. Strip down and dance before the Lord, you know, whatever, um, just trying to the abundance of all of it and not just not just the happy, definitely the happy, um, you know, there's no need to be an Eeyore. Uh, that, right. that you don't get any points for being Eeyore. You know, he's just an interesting character in, <laughs> in the Pooh stories. But um, really that uh, the abundant life is, is all of it. You know, it, it's yeah. a whole thing, man. So being able to face that wide eyed, paying attention um, and, and to feel and I'm a I'm a big feeler. Um, yeah. Yeah. Of being able to feel all of those things and to realize in a kind of a strange way, but a true way, at least I believe that that's becoming more and more Christ like. Yeah. yeah. I um, love that. Uh, and, and not some kind of a, you know, squeaky clean moral you know, good guy necessarily, although it could look like that, but it's someone who knows the heights and the depths of the human story. Um, yeah. And man, that, that makes everybody's life so incredibly valuable and everyone's story yeah. so immensely rich. Yeah. So, you know, uh, John, but, you're just hitting my button on the incarnation and the incarnational living and becoming like Jesus. Um, is more than we thought because Jesus really taught us what it's like to be fully human by experiencing all of our humanity. And, uh, you know, when you, 
when you recognize God is close to the brokenhearted and God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, uh, then you're the, you've got great, I think you are a theologian. You're like Jason and me. We're relational theologians. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask yeah, what you yeah. thought of that but phrase. I, I just, yeah. I know that in times of being with people in severe grief and not, not having answers, not having formulas, but just being together, you sense the presence of God. Yeah on a very, very deep scale of him holding them in that grief. My wife's been through a a one year grieving process with her father and we've navigated that together. Um, And it's, it's hard, but it's beautiful. And I think that's the juxtaposition of, you know, this God that became one of us to rescue all of us. Uh, He knows what it's like to be you. And I think we begin to experience yeah. him on a very, very deep level. And we know the depths of his love and the heights and joys of his love. Uh, we, we start accessing the whole range, especially when we are in the lives of others. I mean, hey, I'm a, I'm a firstborn pastor's kid here too. And so we could probably talk a lot on those things. But um, being really and truly human, I love your take on Jesus's statement in John 10, 10. The abundant life is all of it. It's all, it's experiencing the whole gamut of what it means to be human. And, and um, I, w- I would just encourage people to, um, to lean in, like you said, uh, don't, don't try and let religion tell you, you have to fake it. Uh, go, go at God with all that you can give him because he can handle it. Uh, Cause he's been, he's been you, he knows what it's like to be you. Um, but thanks for sharing that. I, I mean, I love the Eeyore example, you know, because the opposite is true. No one can be a Tigger all the time. I don't want to be around Tigger all the time. It's going to drive me nuts. <laughs> I'm Tigger in the morning and my kids hate it. <laughs> they, they hate it. <laughs> well, we, you know, there's this kind of a allergic reaction these days to uh, you know, toxic positivity. Um, well, the, the, the inverse is also true. I, I've got, I'm allergic to toxic negativity. You know, somebody who's always, Oh my goodness. You yeah. know, and in somber town or something. And, um, but, um, but yeah, that's, uh, and I love how you said that it, it's about becoming more and more Christ-like becoming more and more human. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, 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 it it's good. It's uh, it doesn't mean that it's easy, but uh, it's interesting. Our youngest is 21, and uh, she's junior, starting her junior year of college. And she was talking to some friends the other day, and one of them was just having a hard time. You know, he's having to scrap to get tuition money together and gas money for his, you know, beater. Right. I don't know, eighty Honda Accord or whatever it was. Right. Um, but she said it was one of those moments where your kids just amaze you. She said, right. But, but you know, Dad, I don't know that I trust anybody who hasn't suffered. Right. Um, and I thought, holy cow, where did you, how did that, you know, and so I didn't respond to it. I just kind of nodded, which is right. the correct yeah. response, yeah. Right. Uh, and made a mental note of it. But um, we all, we all have. That. We all have. And uh, anyone who says they haven't, they're just um, – they're either they're freshly born or right. they're, they're they're a liar. <laughs> I was going to say they're either they're either two weeks old and they just can't quite articulate the trauma of birth. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. I remember uh, 
I was young, 23, 24, newly married, a couple of years in, had had one kiddo, and I'm at some prayer meeting, because I'm a pastor's kid too, grew up in all of that, and just wonderful. That. Yeah. And uh, an older gentleman came by. I don't know why he sniffed my head. I, I have no idea why he did that, but I am from the charismatic stream, so... So, uh, you know, I, there's always the mystery of, of what's going on there, but sniffed my head and then, and then, uh, said, Oh man, never trust a man without a limp. And, uh, and, 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 uh, then went on to talk about how he valued those who'd navigated suffering. And at 24, I was kind of like, man, go away, dude. Like, <laughs> like, I'm not too sure what to do with that, but, um, you know, getting close to 50, I'm thankful for uh, that insight. There's something profoundly true in it. And yeah. and for this thing called grace that that we're all quite familiar with and uh, that you've done a good bit of writing on. Um, I, we had someone on the other day and, you know, our podcast tends to, tends to really resonate with folks who maybe did grow up in the church and maybe grew up uh, with a whole lot of beautiful things, but also this possibly angry or retributive God and, and, uh, have been rediscovering what, what Christ, who Christ truly is through the lens of reconciliation. And, and so there's a lot of rethinking. Some folks might use the word deconstruct and, and, uh, I don't get a say in the language. So I go embrace that. And we say, if we're going to deconstruct, let's, let's find the cornerstone, Sure. And let's let's do it well, and and so a lot of folks listening, um, we ha we end up having conversations about how they got here, and, and inevitably someone talks about grace, and then we're talking about these particular books that impacted us, um, and different streams, and how and how maybe if you were part of the Methodist movement, you read something over here, or, you know, um, and and what comes up often is of course Brennan Manning. And I remember when I when I read uh, Ragamuffin Gospel. In fact, my dad, my dad, uh, and I have a similar relationship to yours. Uh, it's a, a pretty deep relationship, and uh, and uh, and when my dad finds something that is transformative, uh, he buys a book for everyone. I mean, yeah. it doesn't matter if you are if you're his neighbor or if you're, if he runs into you at a gas station, he's going to have that book. And he's going to, he's going to give it to you. And so, uh, Ragamuffin gospel was a transformative book for the Clarks. Um, and, and so my dad bought one for everyone and, and then pestered me till I read it. Sure. And, and, um, I, I'd love to talk about Brennan and I'd love to talk about grace because, uh, I think I think what you're talking about is is true. There's this real life, the messiness of life, the uh, and yet there's this grace that um, is sufficient. You know, Paul talks about uh, three times he's prayed. I, when I read that, uh, I'm blown away. You know, he's talking, referencing a thorn in his flesh, and yeah. whatever the theologians say, if, whether it's his eyesight or something else. Three times I prayed, and then he then he remembers, "Oh, your grace is sufficient." And then he goes on to say this profound statement that, for me, is it when I saw it, it flipped a lot of things. He says, "When I'm weak, I am strong." You know, I grew up singing, "When I am weak, He is strong." And that's true, and it's a beautiful thing to know. But there's also this thing in grace that says, "When I'm weak, I'm strong," 
And uh, I'd love for you to share a little bit about that. I know uh, in in your bio, one of the things about you is that you put all your eggs in the basket of grace. Uh, You referenced that. So uh, share a little bit about that and maybe a little bit about your connection with Brennan, because I know you helped write the memoir. I did, yeah. Um, I'll jump to Brennan, and that will inevitably uh, entail some talking about grace in it as well. So okay. um, I'd read Ragamuffin, you know, uh, as a young adult, and um, it did not have the transformative effect on me that it did on so many. Uh, okay. I thought it was okay. Sure. But I, you know, I didn't think it was, I wasn't blown away from by it. Right. Um, but um, years later, and um, I was, Brendan was getting ready to do his memoir. And um, the story goes that he had a writer and they got crossways and uh, the, that writer was let go of the project. They were about maybe a fourth of the way into the work. Um, and, um, there's this guy named John blaze standing over to the side. <laughs> uh, and I raised my hand and, uh, got auditioned, so to speak, and, um, and got the job. And that's how I stepped into Brennan's life. Wow. Um, and, uh, was able to work with him. And the, the funny thing about that is that, um, I knew Brennan when he was really the ragamuffin. Um, yeah, not to say that he wasn't before, but, um, man, when, when Brennan was at the height of his powers, he was a force. I mean, um, smart, articulate, he was charming, witty. Um, he, I, he was that old school flirt, you know, that, <laughs> that flirted with everybody in the room. Right, it wasn't right. just the ladies or something, right. um, just a charmer. Yeah. Uh, now a lot of that's tied to the fact that he was an alcoholic, <laughs> right? You know, uh, right? Uh, but uh, but all of that had been stripped away, stolen away, taken away when I entered into his life, and so that little ragamuffin with nothing to bring, you know, but me and my drum, parumpa pum pum, that was Brennan Manning. Wow, um, and that's where our friendship began. So. Uh, it was an interesting, interesting experience um, because he was such a firm believer in grace. But um, almost uh, each time that I was with him and, and was privileged to be in his presence a number of times, um, you know, would, would ask him, "Are you are you letting God love you today, Brennan?" Which is wow. which may be a may be a pretty good definition of grace. Letting yeah. God love you. That's uh, a good question, uh, man. Wow, because it's there. He just wants to do it. The question is, yeah. are you going to let it? Let wow. it happen. Sometimes it bowls you over and yeah, that, that's another discussion. But, um, and in my experience with Brennan, he would always, um, at least in my, my lingo now, cause I'm a John Wick fan. He would say, I'm working on it. You know, uh, I, I, I'm working on it. I've written all these books. I believe it. If you pressed me, I'd say, yes, I do, but I'm still, I'm still working on it. Yeah. Um, and so it's just this, and I love that about him. Um, it was a very honest and true statement that said, you know, I believe, help my unbelief. Yeah. Uh, mm, right. know, I, I believe it's all grace. And gosh, if, you know, if sometimes I question that, um, 
as any human would be, like we were yeah. talking a minute ago. You know, yeah. doubt's a part of that. Doubt is a part of the abundant life. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love that. But, uh, but it was great, man. Um, and so he, I really got to kind of, kind of take care of a father as he was playing end game. And, um, he had lost his eyesight. He'd sit in front of the television and watch baseball games, but he couldn't see the TV, you know? So he'd ask me, okay, what's happening, you know? And I'm not really a baseball guy, but I, I knew enough to say, okay, so-and-so's on third or whatever. Um, but, uh, he, um, he probably, uh, after my dad, uh, was one of the most influential figures to come along in my life that taught me about grace. Yeah. Um, right. And uh, like I said, at that point in his life, he, he really didn't have anything to bring to the table. So he was, he was dependent on any and everyone for, wow. you know, help to get to the bathroom, to take a bath, to get dressed and all these things. And I, I believe when you talk about grace, there has to be, there has to be room in that discussion for the fact that it to experience grace means you're going to be dependent on someone or someone's or, or on God. So there has to, you know, that self-reliance stuff, you, you have to show that, um, sure. wow. at least for the moment, uh, because you got to let somebody in, um, you, you have to give them access and, um, and Brennan, like like you said, he was working on it. <laughs> uh, he he'd do pretty good, you know. And then he he he'd stonewall me on something, you know. And I'd say, man, come on, you know. But uh, but that's how it is. Yeah. I would be writing writing uh, in his voice. Uh, I've I've written a few. Uh, I've done a few memoirs now for someone else, ghost written. And so I've I've got some of that experience. But uh, but but never uh, with someone who's maybe the authority in the room. So I would imagine you were you're constantly having to press and uh, navigate that. Yeah, it was a challenge. Uh, <laughs> Sounds kind of like you you thought when I was working with you, I was some kind of a master. Uh, I, I was not, and I was not when I was working with Brennan. You know, we were making it up as we went along, kind of thing. <laughs> um, but. Uh, it's interesting of all he and I worked on the memoir plus a few smaller books that yeah. were being republished and repurposed at the time. But there's a small one uh, entitled "The Furious Longing of God." Yeah, I read and that. And he he uh, on numerous occasions in our relationship time would point that to that little book and say, um, "You you got it right mm. on that one," um, and. Um, which was a huge, a huge compliment to me, you yeah. know, kind of an attaboy. So, uh, I was really thankful of that, thankful for that. So, um, but man, I, that, I, I met so many of his friends in that relationship and his ex-wife named Rosalind, you know, if you ever follow me on social media and you see somebody commenting Rosalind, that's Brendan Manning's ex-wife. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Cause we became fast friends and man, I love Rosalind. Um, and to this day she follows along, you know, just, tries to keep track and um, keeps following the, the breadcrumb trail of grace. So. There is no us and them at the cross. There is no insider or outsider at the cross. 
there is no for or against at the cross. There is no hierarchical thinking, no dualism at the cross. There is greater love, reconciled all to himself at the cross. Letting God love you today. That is yeah. a good question. Yeah, that's huge. And I think that's the furious longing, right? I mean, my goodness. Hey, yeah. John, what uh yeah. a couple of thoughts, but um I think maybe for our listeners to know that sure. the reality of that statement maps with something Paul said in Philippians three thirteen. He said, you know, hey, I haven't arrived yet. I've I've definitely not arrived, you know. And this is in a jail in in the Philippian, and he's writing the letter to the Philippian church, and he's in jail, and he says, "Haven't arrived yet." And he's towards the end of his life. It's like, okay, if the apostle the apostle Paul hasn't arrived yet, none of us have, have will ever arrive. <laughs> but he said, "This one yeah. thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind." Pressing forward to what lies ahead, and I had a pastor in Vancouver, British Columbia, um, tell me one time, he said, "Derek, you'll you'll never press forward if you don't let go of the past, and until you start letting go of the past, you'll never, mm-hmm. you know, you'll never move in any right direction." And it's a catch twenty two, or it's a glorious freedom because it is one thing; they, they're both combined. It's it's both and. You got to let go, and you got to press forward. And you're either stuck in a moment. And so I, I kind of want to maybe speak to our audience today uh, with what you're bringing is that this life of grace is it's all the time. It's never, it never quits. You're going to have to be depending on someone all the time, or you're going to be stuck with your own ways and initiatives and, you know, to me, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and He is grace personified. So um, maybe just a, that, that that was encouraging to me hearing you you say that, even about you yeah. know Brendan Manning and his yeah. life. Um, but uh, I want to ask you this question: In your opinion, when He told you what you got right in that book, what was it? What'd you get right? Talk talk a little bit about that. Furious longing, the furious longing of God is a good book. I really heard him saying, Derek, that I got the voice right. Um, uh, that if 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 he had had all his faculties um, and had written that book, that, that it would have sounded. And that's always your goal as a ghostwriter or something sure, like that. You want the sure. book. Even when I was working on your stuff, Jason, you know, I sure. now I I bring my own stuff. It's uh, impossible for me not to, but. Sure. Um, at the end of the day, I, I wanted people to read your book and say, gosh, that sounds like Jason. Well, I think for him, he was saying if somebody would have, of his friends would have read that, they would have said, oh, it sounds like Brennan, although they knew that I was, um, you know, in some sense, the scribe on the whole thing. So um, it- that doesn't always happen, uh, but it's when it does, it's you just step back and say, thank you. <laughs> There's a uh, yeah. there's a quote in uh, Prone to Love. Uh, is it Open Range? Is that the film with Duvall? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and, and uh, it's your quote. You, you capture what I was saying, and you put that quote in there. 
uh, and I loved it. And uh, I hadn't seen the movie yet. So uh, I went and watched the movie and then kept the quote. I was like, oh, my gosh, yeah, that is really good. <laughs> I, I know that feeling of – go ahead. Yeah. yeah. You ask about grace, though, and I, I, I'll just say this one other thing. I, I just finished up a, a writing project. I can't tell you too much about it because it's still kind of on the, the secretive side. But um, a very notable figure who, who crashed and burned pastoral mm. guy just imploded his life. Mm. Um, and initially in the book, we use that phrase fall from grace, which is how we talk about, you sure. know, people like that. Sure. Um, I wonder sometimes what the common non church person thinks when they hear that phrase, but uh, you know, that that's another question uh, and another discussion. But as we move through the book, the whole thing changed because instead of a fall from grace, um, we, we framed it as he actually fell fell into grace. Wow! Yeah, um, yeah. As opposed to being something at the top of the ladder, no, it, it's something that's at the very bottom, man. Um, yeah. And you fall into that, and you realize the immensity of it, the depth of it, yeah. um, the the beauty of it. Yeah. Uh, if it was something up on the top shelf, then that, we've already lost the thread. So. Yeah. Um, but I love the way that, and it was this guy's take on that. I love the way he phrased that uh, because I feel like it's true. Yeah. Yeah. And the ease and the ease of grace for, for me, um, you know, growing up where we were practicing often the religion of separation and in that context, then you're, then you're doing a whole lot of sin counting. Yeah. And uh, of course, God's in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not, counting sins so that's not that's not what he does but boy you find yourself sin counting and then you apply grace as though it's a band-aid or some sort of so, uh, saving um process and then you have to balance it because we're still doing sin and for me the the journey of grace has been i think what you said i love that are you letting him love you today there's there's a surrender to his affection, to his love, to the reconciling nature of what took place at the cross, and an ease that doesn't have to be balanced. If you're in grace, you're living, uh, you're living empowered in, in in righteousness anyway. You're living like you're not playing a sin counting game anymore. There's, I, I know I'm in grace when there's rest and peace, regardless of what's taken place around me. When I'm when I'm convinced in his affection, I, I, that's grace to me. Oh. I'm convinced today in this moment, I sense his love. I sense his pleasure. I sense his goodness. Oh, that's grace. It's, it's, uh, I was, I had, I had this call with a bunch of folks, uh, beginning of, of this week on a zoom call. And, and, um, we, we were talking about, uh, just about, um, the ability to, to, to sleep in the boat, uh, during a storm, and and the idea that um, that that it's not about calming storms, it's about discovering his pleasure. And I, I talked about how this is my son, whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. And how we we theologically can get the this is my son, whom I love. We get all of that, and to some extent, we're always aware of that. But man, when we can discover his pleasure. And we camped out there in the conversation. I'm like, man, when I am aware of his pleasure, when I'm letting him love me and all of his goodness, 
wherever I am, what you're talking about, where, whether I'm raging or I'm in grief or wherever I am, when I'm letting them love me, oh, grace, I can, uh, suddenly there's a storm and it's not even about common storms. It's about resting. It's about sleep. It's about being in, with my friend, my heavenly father, with Jesus, Holy Spirit. And, and I, I think for me, that's the ease of grace. If you're talking about, uh, what, what is this thing? It's, you don't, you can't gain it. You actually have to fall in like what you said. It's, it's not a, a pyramid where you, where, that's law. That's somehow earning, somehow getting to something when it's already been finished and available to us. Anyway, I want to preach. Now. Well, Jason, Sorry, I was man. just thinking, I was reading this this morning in Galatians five and it really maps with what John's talking about, you know, uh, a fall from grace. I, I can tell you probably definitively that most of the outside world, including the Christian world, as it is now, a fall from grace is you did something and you fell from your, your high and lofty virtuous position. Yeah. Um, but I think the passion translation gets it right in, in Galatians five verse four, you know, it says, if you want to be made right with God by fulfilling the obligations of the law, you have cut off more than your flesh. You have cut yourselves off from Christ. And here's what, here's the key. Hmm. You've fallen away from the revelation of grace uh, I like how it mm. states that because I think grace is a person and his name is Jesus. And the, ball, the Bible you know, tells us that mm. the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And Jesus claimed to be the truth. So, um, And truth is on the side of grace. You're never going to access truth until you fully have an encounter with grace. And for me, an encounter with grace is a, an encounter with the human God who knows exactly what it's like to be in my condition and to be with my thoughts and my grief yeah. and my joy and all that, like you're talking about the abundant life of every aspect. Um, grace is with us. Grace is in us. And when we try to navigate it on our own, we, we kind of cut ourselves off from the unforced rhythms of grace, which is how the message paraphrase puts, puts it. it says, Jesus says, come to me, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And man, that's something I, you know, I am really wanting more and more and more. I'm 55. I'm navigating the adult children and, you know, <laughs> needing healthcare from being self-employed, all the things you're talking about. But, um, yeah, but really, this this mm -hmm. grace, when you assign it as I'm walking with a person, as opposed to I'm relying on a principle, that's where it shifts for me. That's where it gets really real and true. And that's where I can, I think where I can be my truest self is when I'm truly accepting the grace, believing the love, you know, have you been loved today? And then being able to distribute that that grace to others. I think it's Brad Jerzak that talks about that. This truly is holiness. Holiness is the ability to receive grace and extend grace. It's a holy thing that we're, we're navigating there. And uh, I love the, love the language you're putting around it. And uh, it, it's important. It's important for people to come back to a place where they, they know they need someone they need to be taken care of they need um even even other humans in their life you know uh i think when we place ourselves in that 
position, we truly start understanding what it means to be a part of the body of Christ and, uh, and navigating this in, yeah. in a community. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, now I'm just preaching yeah, and babbling, but, uh, I'm loving the no, language there. You gave a nod to the message there. I had the privilege also of working with Eugene Peterson on some things and, um, I know you had Wynn Collier on. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, he got to talk about his book in relationship with Eugene. But Eugene was another person, much much different than Brennan Manning. Um, yeah. But very much the same message. Um, and that, you know, I think Eugene's phrase was grace is everywhere. You know, yeah. Brennan's yeah. was all his grace. Eugene's was grace is everywhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, six, one, half a dozen of the others is the <laughs> kind of thing. Um, but, um but Eugene brought that that kind of peacefulness um, in his demeanor and his stature and his presence. Um, uh, like I said, Brennan was, you know, uh, in the best sense of the word, kind of flirty in a room. You know, Eugene, you'd kind of have to, and you'd have to crack that nut to get him to even, you know, talk to you almost because he was the <laughs> quiet guy in the corner. Um, but very much uh, both just inheritors of grace. You know, debtors to grace, if you will. Um, And um, yeah, just just beautiful men and was privileged to be a part of their lives. So the um, I was going to say this, John, you folks may not realize, but I'm so thankful for you because you really um, you have touched on a lot of a lot of folks who've impacted how we think today, how we believe today, and and your voice, uh, I, I think even how you helped me write. Uh, I know you probably can't share a lot of the folks, but man, um, you have this phrase in your bio. I, I, I was like highlighting your bio going, I got to redo my bio. <laughs> but, uh, why you're a storyteller un- who is unlike a, unlike a historian must follow the trail of compassion wherever it leadeth. And uh, I, I feel that uh, the the ability to follow the story uh, and the the story of compassion. Um, I'm I'm grateful, man, that that you do this. Uh, The impact that you've had in my life uh, in ways I may not even know. And I I think of a lot of folks listening that you've had a great impact in lives and they may not necessarily even know you had your your fingerprints on something. But can you talk a little bit about Jubilee and, and some of your work? That's uh, some of your poetry. Yeah, um, I turned fifty and um, wanted to do something to mark that mark that time, uh, mark the beginning of that that season of my life. And um, I could have gotten the uh, full uh, Phoenix back tattoo, like Ben Affleck, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's a mistake, I, by the way. Total mistake. Should have uh, done that. <laughs> Or I could, uh, you know, self-publish a collection of poems. And um, <laughs> so I, I chose the, the latter. Uh, and uh, it's something I've wanted to do for some time. Yeah. And um, I, I, I'm not a techie, wouldn't even really call myself entrepreneurial very much, but I was able to figure out the self-publishing thing with a little help from my friends. And um, I had a number of poems, I believe – uh, in excess of a hundred. Yeah. And, uh, I invited my mother into that, that experience and said, would you help me pare these down to 50? Um, and, um, I'll give you, I'll give you mom a voice in this. 
And uh, of course, she she nixed all of them that had any profanity in them, <laughs> uh, as as your as your mother is wont to do. And um, but it it was funny because we we really came up. I said, "You pick fifty, and I'll pick fifty, and then we'll you know compare and contrast." And we just about came up with the same ones. Wow. And um, so uh, it was a lot of fun, and um, it was a season in my life where I was. Was trying to write a poem almost every day, um, yeah, I remember and that. Uh, and post those on my blog. Yep. And yep. Uh, I grew up that that mom I'm talking about. Uh, she's 78 now. Um, school teacher, salutatorian, valedictorian, other Torian words that you get for you know making straight <laughs> A's and all this kind of stuff. Um, so we grew up in that kind of a household in which, on an educational level. And perfection was was the deal. So that whole exercise in posting a poem a day was um, trying to to get out from under that shadow of perfection. Wow! Um, and whatever the poem was, just hit send. Yeah. And, wow. Uh, if it was great, great. If it was good, good. If it was a if a worm burner, then you know tomorrow's probably going to come around. And you'll get the chance to do that again. But. Uh, Really had a lot of fun, and I would probably, uh, I know at some point you'll ask about influences. The poet Jim Harrison has uh, been a, a continual influence in my life for a long time. Um, he thought of himself primarily as a poet, even though he okay. was a novelist, short story writer, those things. Yeah. Um, and I would, I, I would describe myself in that same way, uh, yeah. even if I'm writing prose. That there's something about the compression of language, um, yeah, yeah, and trying to be, trying to be brief. It doesn't mean that I don't do long sentences because I do, and I enjoy that sometimes. But yeah, um, the the economy of words is, is yeah. important to a poet, and uh, that's what I strive to do in Jubilee. And uh, at some point, would love to do some more, uh, kind of a second second edition of some poems. Um, that's that's on the list of things to do. So. I would recommend it. I, I, I've said it already a couple of times, but um, there's there's a, such a value for for uh, connection and human high value for humanity and everything you write. It really is a, for me. I'll read something, and it's a centering moment. It, it reminds me again of 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 the the joy of being a husband or a dad or a son or a brother or a friend. Uh, and as a you know, I, I use the term relational theologian uh, because I'm, I am certainly not smart enough to be anything other. But uh, it, it, when I read uh, anything you've written and, and these poems, it does it. It reminds me of, well, it brings us back around to the incarnation, it, it, the, the, the high value um, uh, of our humanity and our connection one to another. So I, I, I absolutely re recommend a man and I'm thankful. I, like I said, I, I go to read you when I'm, when I'm uh, looking for, I also read the Bible for <laughs> folks. So I'll, I'll read that occasionally once in it's a while. It's got some pretty but, good poems. It's got some pretty well, good poems that. in it. Uh, it's got some good poems in it too. <laughs> you know, but the thing about poetry and in, in, in many ways, much like uh, the, the life of faith from a, from a worldly perspective, poetry does not, poetry will make you very little money. Poetry is not uh, flashy yeah. and, and and sexy. If it is, then you probably you're not. It's not a poem. You've right. you've got something else, which is fine. It's just right. probably not sure. a poem. Right. Um, 
poetry won't really help you get ahead in life. In fact, it, 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 may, it may screw you, uh, right. <laughs> uh, you, you know, bankrupt in some hovel somewhere. Um, from the world's eyes, the life of faith is much the same way. Yeah. It, it's a loser script. Um, right. cause you, you're, you're trying to give it all away. Right. Um, you yeah. Know, you're trying to, yeah. you're trying to die to yourself daily. You know, yeah. the only cross yeah. I'm going to pick up every day is me. It's not right. somebody else or some problem. You know, the cross I've got to pick up and carry is my own stinking self. Um, and, and poetry trucks so close to that. Um, yeah. so the, and, and for me, in a very real sense, the, the life of faith is a life of poetry, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, um, so that, that's, I, I, I try to keep a, a firm foot in that world. And, um, just because it, it, it rings so true with me with um, just the kind of life that I, I want to live and that I'm choosing yeah. to live. So. Well, and I, oh, I for man. one, am very thankful that you didn't choose the Phoenix back tattoo. Um, John, we, <laughs> we appreciate that. Cause we, yeah, yeah. And now our listeners know that when you turn 50, those are the only two options. It's either the Phoenix back tattoo the only or, the, or you're going to, you're going to self-publish some poetry, brother. There's no Porsche. There's no midlife oh, crisis. It's yeah. Phoenix back tattoo or poetry. You know, I I, I, honestly, um, I love the, I love the brevity part of poetry. Um, I try to, I, and this is just a, a nuanced thing about me that I like to try and uh, use haiku, you know, five syllable, seven yeah. syllable, five yeah. syllable to really try and capture maybe a, an emotion or a moment or an event. Um, and it's, it's, it's really hard, but um, after a while, after you do it for a while, you really begin to uh, whittle away what's just not important and I think that's a, I think that's a lot of what we're talking about today. We're talking about, you know, our entire life is a, an exercise in whittling away the things that don't really matter and, and finding Jesus at the base of everything. Uh, to me, that's, that's where I find that, you know, I, I truly am loved and, uh, that brevity exercise you know, is so important. Uh, I love the way, I love the way you talk about it. And now I want to dive into some of your poems. So I'm going to, I'm going to go purchase that wherever I can find it. But, uh, I I also, I also love the, uh, sorry, John, did you want to say something? Oh, I was just gonna say, I, um, the writer, George Saunders, who I, I love, um, says it was a turning point in his writing career when he stopped trying to teach the world something and wow. instead refuse to be boring. Yeah, that's good. That's it. Um, yeah. I love that line. Most of the time when we're wordy and verbose, you know, we're, we're trying to show off. Um, yeah. You know what? I, I do it every day. I've probably done it in this podcast. So, um, but if you refuse to be boring, then you have to, you have to pick and choose a little bit. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Um, and, and brevity comes into play. And, and, and like you said, nuance, um, which, you know, the internet knows nothing of. Um, right. And so, but yeah, it's, um, anyway, I could talk for hours. No, I, I love, I love that. And I love that you wrote something every day. Um, I did that for five years. It was an article a week. And, uh, and as a writer, it was, uh, I, I, you know, for me, it wasn't as risky cause it was only my mom that read them. <clears throat> uh, you know, my wife, 
might have read one in five. That was, sure. My mom would read them all. Except, she wouldn't read the ones you, with you profanity, have though, she, Jason? No profanity, though. No, my mom doesn't she like profanity. That, she deleted that one. <laughs> yeah, th- this new book that I have <laughs> that came out, John, that's a, that's a conversation we've had. It's hilarious. It's only like four times where I say something. but And I, and, and, and I as a writer, they're potent, man. When I used that word, it fit. There was no better word anyway. That's neither here nor there. But I, I love that you uh, that you did something every day because that, I think that I was a better writer on the backside of that five years, oh, uh, having having been forced to and and doing the best you can, knowing that maybe somebody other than mom will read it. So just yeah. make this yeah, thing yeah. as good as I can. But so great advice for writers. Um. Man, we've had you a while. We need to talk tacos, John. Um, uh, this is uh, that's in the title of our podcast, and and in context of what we've been talking about, it's 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 about connection. Uh, everything in relational theology is going to come down to you know sitting across the table having tacos together. So, oh, man, have you I got a? You know what? You I went to, it was the year after my dad died, spring after my dad died, actually. It was a horrible time to take a trip, but it actually may have been the best time to take a trip. And uh, Wynn Collier was on that trip and okay. uh, a couple of other buddies. And we went down to Marfa, Texas. Um, you ever seen the, the little Prada building out in the middle of God forsaken? Oh, yeah. Water? Yeah. I mean, Texas, people take their picture in front of, that's, that's Marfa. High, that's high, high uh, art territory and, uh, down there. Yeah, man. Um, and but that's also where they filmed the the movie Giant, which was okay. a film my dad and I watched together easily a hundred times. Wow! Um, and so I'd always wanted to make a pilgrimage to Marfa, but Marfa, um, Marfa Tacos, or I think that may be what it's called. Hands down, the best taco burrito wow. stuff I've ever. I've ever had. And uh, everywhere I visit, I try to, you know, frequent some kind of a taco shack or taco bar. And it was, um, it was epic, man. Was it, was it as much because of the company and the aesthetics or was it just like, they know what they're doing there? You know, initially I, I thought it was, but as I've reflected on that and I have, in fact, I can taste that right now, Uh, (laughs) man, it was just, she knew what she was doing. (laughs) Uh, it was, uh, you know, the company helped. Yes, obviously. But, uh, there was something, and I mean, it's, you talk about a dive, you know, hole in the wall. It, it it was, but, um, yeah, Marfa, Texas, that's where you need to hit. Marfa, Texas. All right. We got one for Marfa, Texas. I love it. (laughs) I love it, man. That's beautiful. Yeah. I think I found it here. It is rich. It's it's Marfa, Marfa burritos. Uh, but they also serve tacos. So. Yeah, giant. That, uh, that was it. that was a James Dean movie, that, right? Uh, Anthony Bor- or Anthony yeah. Bourdain. What? Yeah, he did. Oh, yeah, sorry. he visited uh, Martha Martha and uh, highlighted that on one of his shows. And uh, um, yeah, you're a big uh, Bourdain fan, I know. You know what? He was abundant life, man. Um, I don't like the way the story ended, um, yeah. but but he he was. He was trying to, you know, uh, suck the marrow out of out of it out of it all. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I think that's one reason why he has resonated with so many in our culture. Um, his curiosity, 
and his love for life and his love for people um, and his, his openness to cultures and beliefs and, yeah. um, and then, but man, joining somebody around the table, uh, that's, uh, that's pretty biblical right there. man. <laughs> looks like Jesus a little bit, huh? <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. I love oh, that's man. John, I don't want, I don't want to keep you. We don't want, we, this has been rich for me. I, I can't tell you how thankful I am to connect with you in this way. And, uh, I'll have to find you another time and maybe talk a little bit of shop with you, but can you share with folks how they can find you and, um, maybe what you're working on now? Uh, two projects that I'm slowly working on. Uh, one's a memoir, which, uh, centers around the, the season where my dad died yeah. and um, the other is a, um, a fiction, a fiction piece, kind of a coming of age story that uh, came to me in a dream, which is something that has never happened. And, wow. happened. and so um, I'm trying to be, trying to be faithful to the news um, if I can. So um my blog, uh, my my website is johnblaze.com. Um, I'm not posting there too often these days. I've got a Substack um, account beyond the pale, um, yeah. And um, I'm posting there about as often as I am on johnblaze.com. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know what? I'm active on Instagram. Uh, I can get yes, in there, throw some images and some words, and get out. Um, I don't do Twitter because I love my life <laughs> and, uh, occasionally do, occasionally do Facebook. You can find me there, but, uh, yeah, yeah those are some places and, Good. um, we'll have all that. I'm, I'm visible. Yep. We'll have that all on the front end too, but yeah, I follow yeah. you on, I, I did follow you on Twitter, but then, uh, I moved over just recently found you on Instagram and, uh, and absolutely love it. So yeah, Good. John, thanks so much, man, uh, this for this time together i think yeah. we're all richer as a result of it and uh just uh, your heart your heart shines through man um I'm, I'm loving what you're carrying and bringing and this conversations around grace and grief and all these things are uh they're meaningful and memorable so thank you yeah yeah thanks our gracious host and um i'll leave you with this phrase um we, we, we go forth to serve the Lord so that those to whom love is a stranger will find in us generous friends. Um, Beautiful. Amen. I didn't write, I didn't write that, but that works, man. So <laughs> love it. Amen. Love it. Thank you, man. Good. Hey guys. So glad you joined us on rethinking God with tacos. You can find me, Jason Clark online at a family where I encourage you to sign up on our mailing list. We send out an email twice a month, letting you know about new podcasts, articles, and new books or products that we have coming out. Plus, occasionally I'll keep you up on my schedule where I'm traveling. My Twitter handle is at Jason Clark is. I'm on Instagram under the same handle, and you can find me on Facebook as well. Yeah, and my name is Derek Turner. Jason and I love that you're listening to us. Thank you for all your feedback. Please write in, let us know what's going on in your life. But uh, we are pursuing a mission to help people rethink God. And we thank you for being a part of it. Uh, you can find me at 
Pastor Derek T on all the socials. And then, of course, I pastor a church here in Charlotte, North Carolina called River Church, rivercharlotte.com. Come and join us. We'd love to have you. Hey, all of these podcasts are available on all the platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google. Yeah. Hey, make sure and like, share, and throw a review out there. Let people know. We love good reviews on the podcast. It helps people find us. That's right. So if this is a podcast that you enjoy, (laughs) then please promote it, share it, give it a good five-star rating. I like that. That's a good idea. Hey, love doing this journey with you. Praying grace and wonder over you today.